Hello to all you survivors out there in the wasteland. We're back for Escape the Fall 2019 and still transmitting from our hermetically sealed bunker beneath the nation's capital. Thank you for joining us on whatever scavenge receiver you've got going today. I'm Evan May, host of The King in Darkness and Bonhomme Setter. And I'm Brandon Crilly, Ottawa-based author of sci-fi and fantasy. Our cozy little bunker is keeping us safe from the world outside, but we also have a lot of time on our hands, despite the breach in the space-time continuum and the fact that the city is full of dinosaurs, biplanes, and a cavalry regiment from the 1850s. We've decided to pass the time by sharing stories. Instead of a campfire, we have some strange glowing crystal device that seems to have come from a thousand years in the future. I'm sure it's perfectly safe. Because it's perfectly safe, we'll be here talking about the stories that we love from the world of science fiction, fantasy, and horror, as well as the tales that come from the creation of stories and the creation of art in general. Today we've invited two of our fellow survivors to share their own ideas, experiences, and interests with us. Here's who will be joining us in the bunker today. I'm Amal Al-Muhtar. I'm an author and critic. My short story, Seasons of Glass and Iron, won the Hugo, Locus, and Nebula Awards. And my book that I co-wrote with Max Gladstone is called This Is How You Lose the Time War. And uh, I used to tell ghost stories for a living. Hi there, I'm Alan Neal. I host the show All in a Day on CBC Radio 1 at 1.5 FM in Ottawa, cbc.ca slash all in a day outside of Ottawa. And I once played Chachi in a grade three version of Happy Days that I wrote. We're both really looking forward to our conversation today and just as excited that we get to share it with you. Gather round survivors and welcome back to broadcasts from the wasteland. conversation we were just having before you realized we were recording is all the podcast needs to be like, oh okay, like, okay. That's okay. Basically, yeah there's no yeah like it's not like we prep questions or anything like, all right yeah like the whole reason why we started doing this is because i just like talking to creative people right and shooting the shit so like Excellent. this is an excuse to sit around and, and hang out um, although, although you did research i did do research you did you, okay. you broke you our pact and you did I did, do, yeah. I did do research you broke the pact oh yeah there's a pact no the pact was that we were going to do more research for this season <laughs> <laughs> once again when the, once when again that's don't know what the pact is there's <laughs> all wrong with the pact. hold on we'll sort this out we, that was earlier that was an agreement you made in your head with yourself <laughs> i two people can keep a pact if a third one is present <laughs> as a witness to whatever they agreed to in the first anyway Brandon has done research. I've done literally zero preparation. Yeah, Brandon. Well, now we'll see who does better. (laughs) Brandon did some very interesting research. I did some, yeah, because um, part of me kind of wanted this to just be a continuation of a mall's launch, which was like an episode (laughs) of This is the Story of Your Life, and it was delightful. Yeah, Um, yeah. I I learned many interesting things. About Uh, yourself? No. No, about you, Al. Oh, about me! Oh, oh, okay. Well, I thought you meant at the launch. No, I did learn, uh, you know, that journalism is a dark power <laughs> and sorcery and, and journalists are wizards. Uh, that's basically what I learned. But no, uh, no, I learned many very interesting things. Like, A, I didn't realize that you, I mean, some of it is the obviously available information, like you graduated from Carleton. Yeah. Congratulations. Oh, thank on you. <laughs> <laughs> My last accomplishment, 1992. 
I uh, but no, the the like that you um, you got your job at CBC by working for free for a week. I did. You like turned yeah. up for. Yeah. Uh, I'm totally just stealing all the stuff that, that you. <laughs> did, that that was why that was why I sent it to you. Yes. <laughs> oh, excellent. Oh, I see. You gave it her like, the ammunition. It was. It was, it was like oppo research. It was really great. Okay. It felt only fair. Okay. <laughs> that seems fair. That seems fair. Um and uh, yeah no but I I was just I was delighted um by this because. For a lot of reasons, besides the <clears throat> the, the tit for tatness of it, um, <laughs> but no, the uh, my God, there was a, a truly savage review of a play that you wrote. Oh. It wasn't a savage. Re- it was it was more like if I were a plant, the shade cast <laughs> by this one line wow. would have murdered me. Was that was that one of the things I said? It you? wasn't one of the things. It, it, it's not very obvious. I'm going to pull okay. it up just now because um, I, I mean I was actually slightly angry on your behalf. Oh wow. Uh, <laughs> So, um, I think it what was, was the, play? the Artemis one. Uh, Artemis of Hera. Yeah. Right. Okay. <clears throat> so now is this Ottawa Citizen Review? This is a Capital Current. Uh, so with this article's on Capital Current, it's referring to something that Iris Winston at The Citizen said. Okay. Yeah. 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 Right. So Artemis is about the fans of an Ottawa singer-songwriter who soars to fame, not unlike Alanis Morissette and Sarah McLaughlin. And like, there's just, even in this like super quick summation of it, there's so much that I'm really interested in um, that I will get to in a second. But Iris Winston, a writer at The Ottawa Citizen, has reviewed all of Neil's plays... My God, and and noticed and noticed loved them all equally. <laughs> noticed an improvement in Artemis. Quote: There was a marked difference this time because someone else helped. She says. Ouch. It was like I had a moment of like no one else helped. I, I, I so, but now yeah. I know what you, I remember what this is referring. Someone to. Someone else helped. In parentheses, with writing and directing ideas, she says it was shorter and tighter. But I was just like, it was a there was a marked difference this time because someone else helped. Oh, that just, okay. I missed that. In in, brutal. in in fairness <laughs> to the reviewer in this case, um, so I was notorious for putting out these plays that would be like three and a half hours long. Like oh, they were, really? Yeah, they were. They these were wow. plays that because. You're writing them, you're directing them, and it's not a matter of like, oh, it's all gold, it has to stay, but you're still figuring it out. So right. most of these were first, obviously first production, so mm. you'd be putting them out there, and and you're still, like sometimes you would need to see it in front of the audience before right. you went, oh yeah, that doesn't work at all. <laughs> okay, that's not very good, that's not very good. So with the, in the case of Artemis O'Hara, I've, I, that's why I, for a moment I was like, wait a second, what did she mean someone helped? <laughs> But but it was picked up. I was part of the Great Canadian Theatre Company's Playwrights Unit. Oh, okay. And so what they did was we would be working on scenes. And then at the end, for the sort of end project, I don't even know if the Playwrights Unit still exists. That's embarrassing. But, uh, but professional directors would come in and professional actors, and they'd dramaturge uh, one scene or one mm-hmm. section of it that was then performed as a reading at the NAC. Oh, so that's, the, in the case of Artemis okay. O'Hara, that did happen, and it was helpful. Like, obviously, anytime you have somebody, I'm sure it's the same for you for an editor, like yeah. when somebody comes in, you have to trust the editor, oh, you of have course. to yeah. appreciate the editor. But when you're working in theater, I found anyway, when you're working on a show, everybody has an opinion, and mm. so you can't take everyone's opinion, right? Like, every actor thinks their part should be changed. <laughs> every, uh, you know, person who works on a crew has uh, feels that they are also an excellent writer and or director and sometimes they are like that's no question but you 
can't take everything everybody mm-hmm. says. Whereas right. here, it was obviously somebody coming in saying, hey, why are you doing... And not saying cut this, but why is this part in? Why right. is this part? Or what, right. what would happen if we... Just, so it did... That did make a difference. But yeah, Artemis O'Hara, it would be so interesting to go back and read that again because it's very specifically from the sort of Lilith Fair period of huh. female yeah, yeah. singer-songwriter, even the music that I wrote for, like it was very much that kind of style, style of music now that I wonder whether, how it would play now. Like, yeah. And also, so an entire section of it is on the internet. Like it's in chat rooms. Oh, wow. Actually, so chat rooms. So like yeah. you had people acting out the chat room in progress so there's all these anonymous people behind screens which i mean now i know people like <laughs> like I, that's what i mean all the internet technology would be so interesting just to yeah, read it again yeah. to okay. see like are chat room still a thing the, this they sort of are and as much as like slack is now a thing oh, so, yeah, right, okay. so slack so and like discord slack and, and things right, like yeah. that um but no that makes me even more interested uh, honestly because i am deeply deeply fascinated by the kind of uncanny valley of the 90s in terms of internet technology mm-hmm. right now because uh, for I was I was taking a digital humanities course uh, a couple of years ago and just reading reading what theorists were writing about the internet in the 90s yeah. is like reading uh, it's like reading alternate realities you know it's it's really you look at what people are um, projecting about the way we're going to use the technology and a very slender number of people are got it exactly right in terms of where we've yeah, ended yeah. up right but other people have these totally different visions for how it could go and because we tend to have this feeling of well whatever way the technology has gone is the only way it could possibly have gone and we make these like retroactively extremely linear trajectories uh, for the technology reading stuff that was written in the 90s is, is so is really potent to me like I, I just love mm-hmm. going there to remind myself of how many ways it could have gone differently and also how many people were experiencing the internet in ways that were different to me because yeah. I was I was what I was like 11 or 12 when we got dial up internet at home okay um, like 1995 or 96 yeah okay um, and uh, like the 28th Point eight k oh, yeah. right? Like that. That's where that's where the internet started for me. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, curious fact. Mm. All right. Uh, there is a bird that makes a sound that is exactly like dial up. <laughs> Actually, it is called the Bobolink, which sounds like the name. It does. Um, link. Like it has link. link is it has link in its wow. name, wow. and it clearly wasn't named before. This is one of those weird timey wimey situations. Yeah, 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 yeah. The Bobolink. Okay, before I learned its name, my sister and I would call it the dial up bird because we we only first encountered it when we moved out to Luskville. Okay. Um, so we were surrounded by by fields, you know, and like there was nowhere around, and we just hear this bird that sounded like. It was just it was it was uncanny. And we're like, what is it? What even is that? Um, and then ended up looking it up, and it was called the Bobolink. And I was like, that literally sounds like the made-up name of an early internet startup. Yeah, in the yeah, yeah, yeah. And when the beak hits the, the yeah. tree, it sounds like <laughs> men under construction, page under construction. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's anyway. So close close sidebar. Um, <clears throat> The bubbling, <laughs> uh, but but yeah, the, the um, so I love I love to read stuff. So I, because I was a child when the yeah. internet came out, reading stuff written by adults mm-hmm. when the internet yeah. came out is really interesting yeah. to me. Yeah. Like how were adults experiencing this period, um, especially because now you know increasingly we have this sense of 
oh, you know, my, my parents are on Facebook and yeah. stuff. You know, there's a sense yeah, of, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. adulthood and the internet yeah, yeah. being this really mismatched thing. And, like, as millennials are variously digital natives or not, like, I don't know, there's, there's a whole sense oh, yeah. of, like, who has fluency mm-hmm. in the yeah. internet. And so to read people having fluency in an internet that I was nascent in is really interesting yeah, to yeah, me. Yeah. So. I mean, it's funny because in another play that I wrote, there was a guy who was a computer designer. Now, all this has to be said that I was writing this with no knowledge of computer design. <laughs> <laughs> so additionally, it would be hilarious to read it for people. But but in fairness, nobody ever stopped after the play to say, by the way, that wouldn't happen. But, he, <laughs> but his big dream in the play was designing these worlds that people would be able to go to online and become different people like in that right. world like right. Right. so you would you would actually be interacting with other people in the world like oh it would God. be this really hilarious and the other characters don't mock him but they're like okay well, this has got a way to go yeah. but it's it's funny how much things sped up in a very yeah. short yeah. period of time yeah. to that being like I think even when a remount happened it didn't seem that ridiculous mm-hmm. it not sorry it never seemed ridiculous but it seemed like not that impossible like this guy was not being such a breakthrough thought right but also in Artemis O'Hara there's a scene where she's at this is so weird because I've not thought about this in honestly <laughs> but, but she there's a scene where she's at much music at those, and I've now forgotten what they were called, but where the artist would come in and all the fans would be around oh, for yeah, them yeah. to much meet and not yeah. meet and greet. Uh, yeah, much. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, I can't even remember. But I, I can I can see it, but I can't remember the name. I, I was such a big dreamer at the time that I was like, "We're gonna go down. We're gonna get into much music, and we're gonna shoot that scene because it was it was mostly on screens at that yeah. point in the play." And I had this conversation with Denise Donlan, who was like in charge of much music, and her being. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for your enthusiasm. <laughs> this, for this one day, it would cost you about like twenty thousand oh, dollars. Oh, oh, like it was some, it was some because of crews and everything. Like right. in my mind, I'm like, we're walking in with our little yeah. elves from J school, and we're gonna film this. But and so we ended up taking remodeling Arts Court into what looked like. But what what stra- sorry that was fascinating tidbit of history. I really but, but, yeah, yeah no no no, yeah. no. But what it makes me think about is that. Would an audience now watching it be like, I mean, I'm sure they'd get it. They'd be like, okay, obviously at the time, yeah. this was a thing that this big star did and all the fans are excited to meet them. But it was a, sh- at that point, it was a shortcut as a playwright. Like people were walked in, they're like, oh, she's obviously had much yeah. on whatever that show right. was yeah, that yeah, I can't yeah. remember. But it, the shortcuts are now things that need to be explained. And I, I think this is what's interesting about when books about time travel too yeah is that if you don't know about the period, Mm. there has to be often some awkward conversations where people sometimes talk like they would never speak. Like, well, we do this because that's how we travel (laughs) in this this period. Let's get into this thing that people use instead of cars. (laughs) Like, you don't do that. I'm saying, like, sometimes it's... Whereas, and I wonder now... If you just remount it, like whether there were things like that that people yeah. would be like, because mm-hmm. I know there are certain, I, I use a lot of pop cultural references when mm-hmm. I write, yeah. and I remembered in the remount of that one play there was something that I didn't even, oh, no. like, I re- and it was only like six or seven years later where we were like, who, like who is this, who is this person? <laughs> like that's oh how quickly God. things move yeah. and change. Wow. Oh, so yeah. so it's if people you know seen Neil Simon plays too that are of the 
period, there are certain references that don't necessarily make sense. Oh, yeah. 25 years down the line. I also really love that, though, for a time capsule feel, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That you kind of... uh, And I mean, I think of this with my sort of my my research brain. And and actually, this is reminding me, um, Gretchen McCullough, who is a Canadian uh, writer based in Montreal, who just has a... her book is called Because Internet. She's a linguist. Oh, okay. Um, and she has written this book about internet language and how it's evolved uh, and how it's changed our patterns and stuff like that. And I have not actually finished reading it yet. But okay. it's, as far as I've read, it's wonderful. But I love everything that she is saying about it. She wrote a big idea post on John Scalzi's blog. <clears throat> and in it, she was talking about how in order to try and avoid exactly that situation of this book being dated before it was even published, right? Because, yeah. like, yeah, how are you going to stay on top of this constantly shifting landscape? She said that, imagine, knowing that it was already going to be written for the audience of 2019, when she was writing in 2015, 2016, mm. why not imagine it being written for an audience of, like, 2075? Right. You know, why not? And having giving herself that much longer timeline of essentially trying to explain her present moment as if to a far future generation made her have a perspective on what she was writing about that also enables her to kind of present it as an artifact to us of our own era and also to place to, to lengthen the timeline so that she was talking about how message boards were similar to Victorian things, you know, or like mm, to, right. to kind of place the internet language of our moment in a much longer lineage, which allows for that, you know, kind of uh, not permanence, but but staying power mm-hmm. for yeah. the things that she's talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I find that really fascinating because in that sense, and she and I are talking a lot about this because in a lot of ways, this is how you lose a time war. Uh, and because internet are, I don't know, I keep, we keep both of us trying to talk about why people are buying them together a lot. Like, oh. because like people keep tagging the two of us into like, oh, I've just bought this book by this, and people we don't know, yeah. being like, I've bought this book by this person, and this person, you know. And like Gretchen and I only met this year. <laughs> like, <laughs> earlier, um, like, I, I mean, I think we'd follow each other on Twitter for a little bit longer than that, but uh but I met her in, I think, March when I went to an event in Montreal at okay. the Argo mm. Bookshop, which is wonderful. And everyone should go to the Argo Bookshop. It's it's great. Um, but yeah, so it, she's super lovely. And we're both having similar, like, first time mainstream published thing feels. Yeah. Uh, but this, the, we keep on circling, why are people buying it together? And the, the fact that they are both sort of a time travel books and that, like, her, mm. that, you know, you're time traveling through language or you're thinking about language with an eye to the future and an eye to the past or you're thinking about like all the different you know the the different linguistic I mean as soon as the language kind of transforms there is a sense in which you've shifted into a different timeline right like there is a kind of why did we stop using lol as as laugh out loud and actually now have it like have this range of effective meanings yeah yeah, like she she gets into that moment. she's like you know, if you say something and add LOL lowercase at the end, it's very, very different yeah. in its yeah. use and its meaning and its affect than if in 1997 you were writing yeah. LOL in response to something, yep. you know, yeah. very deliberate. And and that's fascinating. Or, like, the fact that periods feel passive-aggressive. Yeah. Or the fact, you know, like, all sorts of... She gets really granular into these things, and and I find that super delightful. But, uh, yeah, so time travel in, in books and stuff. There's also just a sense in which books are sort of letters that you're sending to the right. future mm-hmm. um, or plays for that matter and uh, and simultaneously as you're sending them into the future you're kind of preserving 
the moment in which you wrote it, and I think that's really cool. Well, and I, I wonder sometimes about, um, for instance, when all of Amal Motar's works are made into television and film. You know, film. The <laughs> all idea, of them! The, the, the idea, exactly. Yes. This, the Netflix channel. <laughs> Amal Fest. <laughs> that, uh, that will be excellent. Um, but th- there is also, I, I sometimes wonder about the ease actors have with stuff from a different era, like props and so on, that that if you were s- filming something in the 90s, mm. the simplicity of the secondhand nature of oh. how you would pop a VHS into yeah, the VCR yeah, or how yeah. you would, like the, the idea that it's, it's the muscle memory that people have mm-hmm. is part of why I sometimes wonder if you can tell the difference between a film made in the 60s versus a film made in 2019 set in the 60s because I find like any period piece you can almost always tell based on the actor's demeanor and the way things are filmed and so on that it's actually a 70s film about the 1800s versus the uh, a 60s film about the 1800s or whatever and I I, it's 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 the the idea of the stuff Mm -hmm. and how they and, and simplicity the how people spoke as yeah. well, like the the the, um, the accent, slang, and, and or, where and how one talked, that you can sometimes watch something and be like, "Wow, that sounds so stilted," and yet you don't know why. Yeah, but it's because that's not yeah. the twenty somethings of twenty nineteen don't sound like the twenty somethings of nineteen ninety six. It, it blows me away when I hear uh, like CBC recordings from the sixties mm. and seventies. Yeah. You know the the. Like, the radio voice yeah. is different from the radio yeah. voice yeah. of today. And that freaks me out. Yeah. And sometimes, I mean, if someone has had a long career <laughs> and you hear the evolution in their voice oh, yeah. from early to, to late is astonishing to me. Which is the fact that there's a whole a whole accent that makes no sense to me. Because it's not a regional accent. It's a broadcast accent, yeah, right? right. Yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. The, the whole, like, transatlantic... I'm making air quotes. <laughs> the, whole, the whole, like, transatlantic <laughs> accent, you know, the, the yeah. kind of... Um, I don't even know what you call it a, uh, the, just like like film, like old film yeah. accents, right? Like yeah, yeah, the yeah. Uh, what was supposed to be natural speech there, or whatever. But then when you hear that ported over in outside of the film and yeah. into other broadcast stuff, it's really weird. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, I was also going to say one thing I, I super love and I'm really fascinated by both in in writing and in uh, film representation is period pieces done historically so like there is a film called the life and times or life and death of colonel blimp life and death oh yeah of yeah, blimp, of course, right? yeah, yeah yeah so it's a it's an amazing film okay. that was made very very soon after the second world war oh okay about britain and empire through the life of one man who has been through the Boer's War, yeah. the First World First War, and the Second World War. Right, okay. So he's lived through all three. Interesting. And, and it's this, uh, it's an examination, like, and a big part of the film is about, you know, how you, how, how some members of the aristocracy, this man included, you know, could be friends with Germans in the First World War and have a very gentlemanly kind of approach to warfare or whatever, yeah. and that by the Second World War, everything was very, very different. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so through this one man's life, you're, you're getting this lens on empire mm-hmm. and uh, colonialism and war specifically to do with Britain that is much more trenchant I find than a lot of stuff that has come since yeah absolutely um, it's, it's like utterly fascinating to me to see this kind of suspicion turn towards nostalgia 
through yeah, this character sure. in the immediate I mean I think this film was made like in 1950 or something right. like that right, right? Yeah, yeah. so um, I, I think I could be totally wrong but I, I just know it was soon after the second world war um, so the fact that like that that film from 19 ostensibly 50 probably um, <laughs> thank you for looking at yeah. that uh, <laughs> I, Evan's done finally he's done some research <laughs> You know, it's looking at stuff from the early night from the late nineteenth century. It's like it's portraying mm. that period. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm I'm really curious sometimes. So like, you know, when when we in our contemporary moment, nineteen forty three, nineteen forty three. Oh, so what? So it was like during the Second World oh, War. Oh shit! Yeah. Wow. Even yeah. even more. Okay. Even more. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. yeah. Um, well, any any wartime. And this counts for any war, but mm-hmm. anytime there there is, I mean, I recognize there's always wars going on all over the world. But anytime <laughs> North American troops are involved in a war, yeah. it's an interesting time to see how period pieces about wars yeah. yes. are done. I mean, Absolutely. even if you look at like yeah. Mash, right, the TV yeah, show, yeah, yeah, like yeah. It, while Vietnam's going on, it's set in Korea ostensibly, although no haircut right. matches <laughs> anything on on. But but it's uh, but obviously making a statement. Yeah. about how they felt about what was going on in Vietnam yeah. is being made, right? Yeah. right? So I and I think that's that's almost always the case, like through the lens of yeah, yeah. of I mean what was the the, the movie The Butler uh, recently yeah. where all these presidents are being viewed through obviously a filmmaker's yeah. lens again. I mean, it, we don't do so much of it in Canada for whatever reason, but often you do American directors do love doing the Forrest Gump thing or the yeah, yeah, yeah. the Butler idea, where you're going through a large, large periods of time through the eyes of somebody who. And I, I, yeah. Blimp's actually really good. I haven't seen that movie in so long. Yeah, yeah. It'd be interesting to go back and. Yeah, I want to go see that. That sounds fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. 1943 is an interesting point, like right in the middle of the war. Yeah, and yeah, it's, and that, that's pre-D Day. So. Yeah, it's not entirely clear in 1943 how things are going to go. Yeah, exactly. That's an yeah. interesting point to be making a uh, a movie about the war. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Ken Liu has this brilliant, brilliant story in his um, uh, in, in his collection, the Paper Menagerie and other stories. Mm-hmm. It's the last one. It's called The Man Who Ended History, and the premise of the story, which is devastating, it's it's a, it's huh. such a harrowing story. Okay, and it's it's a novella. I think it's very it's long, the longest story in that collection. The premise is that uh, this device is invented, which can allow you to view any historical moment exactly as it happened, but in the viewing of it, you destroy access to it. So, the, because the way it functions is that it's, it's actually like, um, I'm mm. not a physicist, but it is sort of phys- uh, plausible according to physics, and that okay. the way it works is that you basically have a device mounted sufficiently far away from the Earth that okay. like, it's you know to do with the speed of light and stuff like that, you can, if you wanted, witness something as it is actually yeah. happening in the past because mm. you have exceeded that you know you, you've yep. gotten ahead of it basically yeah 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 um but it can only be viewed once right because then it's past yeah. right so the so, question sorry. Yeah, is, that's is, interesting is, is, yeah. this, is not, this is how what weak my physics <laughs> is, is the idea that you then sort of you destroy the ability of anybody else to witness its creation or you destroyed the object 
You destroyed. Uh, no, no, the, to witness the creation. Okay. You can only okay. see them. I was like, oh, no, you no, high price. No, 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 no. You can see it being made, but then it's gone yeah. forever. I'm like, oh my god, this is like, who would do that? Right. Like, so question, I just really wanted to see how this, how we made microscopes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but so, like, the, the the moral and philosophical question at the core of the story is who gets to witness the history, right? right? Mm, um, and it's so it's being organized around um, the the rape of Nanking, basically, okay. and about the like the atrocities that the Japanese committed against the Chinese during the Second World War, which is not discussed. Like I, I learned about this embarrassingly recently as well, and Japan still denies it a lot. Of, you know, so, um, so the 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 story is organized around who gets access to this. Is it the descendants of the people who were uh, brutalized and tortured uh, mm-hmm. in this space, so that they can have some kind of closure? Mm-hmm. Is it historians who will? You know, were ostensibly supposed to be trained to, you know, witness these things objectively and blah blah blah, but also will no doubt bring their own biases yeah. to it. And it becomes a question of like, yeah, who who literally owns history? You know, yeah. who who gets to have it? If you can only have it once, who gets to have that pure undiluted, undiluted witness to what happens? And furthermore, there's the question of even if you were to witness that, what are you witnessing? Because you can't get inside the heads of the people experiencing or perpetrating any of those actions. All you can do is see what happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so there's... Anyway, it's it's a tremendous, tremendous story that I can't talk about without, like, getting, like, layers of chills. Um, But... (laughs) uh, And and it's it's also a very explicit story. Like, it's Mm -hmm. very upsetting. Um, But it is, like... A, a truly stunning finale to this absolutely gorgeous collection. Wow. So, uh, cannot recommend it enough. But it's, huh. you know, and it, it, the question of like just accessing history sure. is already fraught enough yeah. without the question of how to represent the yeah, history right, yeah. that you've accessed and stuff. And any, and I find this especially relevant and curious whenever we talk about science fiction mm-hmm. because you also can't represent the future without automatically having chosen a past yeah. from which that future is developed. You automatically yeah, yeah. have yeah. curated a set of, of pasts yeah. in order to mm-hmm. imagine the future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually find this very exciting as opposed to limiting. Like, I, I find that this is... There are so many opportunities. Instead of seeing this as a limit, you know, oh, the impossibility of ever knowing the truth, yeah. Yeah, you yeah. know, to instead see it as endless opportunities for empathy, and mm. uh, and imagining yourself mm-hmm. in these different positions, imagining yourself in right. the past or in yeah, the future, yeah, yeah, right. and recognizing like the the ways in which everything sort of stays the same in oh, a lot yeah. of ways. Um, it's something that I'm also endlessly fascinated by is um, people's capacity to unironically say, "But it's 2019," <laughs> you know, yeah. and I'm yeah. like, you know. Yeah. In in nineteen nineteen, <laughs> I'm sure people were saying that. But it's nineteen nineteen. Modernity, you know. Yeah. Uh, it makes everyone me laugh is... every time I see the sign that says in Ottawa it says modern dry cleaners, and I'm always like, <laughs> <laughs> when? A, at what point was it like cool for? Oh my god, we should go there. It's modern. It's modern. <laughs> and then B, the fact that it's been there for I'm assuming like fifty years, <laughs> saying modern dry cleaners. But but oh. but the the idea of also who gets to tell the stories mm. from the past is, is fascinating, right? Yeah, like yeah, the yeah. idea that you, who, who yeah. owns it and then who gets to pass it on, right? Yeah. Like, and, and what stories get chosen. I think I, it's yeah. cute in this country especially. But like, yeah, okay. but, yeah. but it, there's, there's um, uh, the question of whether you're, whose stories you're allowed 
to tell yeah. too that yeah. I think is is such a struggle I think for for writers I mean like if if you were wanting to tell an indigenous point of view yeah. in your story I don't know how you wrestle with that right now whether you just say like okay do I like if one of those two main characters yeah. in one sense you want one of the two main characters to be indigenous right like you right. want those those stories to be told I don't think you would yeah, yeah, do, yeah. But, yeah. but you would want yeah. half of a story to be told and at the same time like am I allowed to have well, that this is actually a really interesting question to me that, that I think comes up um, a lot in a lot of different situations um I, I've definitely seen the same sort of uh, structure of question asked about a lot of different perspectives, right? Mm. And on one level, uh, it's, you know, then there's the kind of, it brings you to the question of like, well, can men ever write women, you know? Yeah, right. or, but th- those are different situations too. Mm. Like the, the, as much as that structure ostensibly can be like ported or translated mm. from one thing to another, it doesn't all, you're not always faced with the same problem, right? Yeah. Um, the issue of representing... Uh, people who have been like largely erased out of historical narrative is not the same problem as representing a woman as a man. Yeah. It's just not yeah, the yeah, same. Yeah, so no. you, you can't make equivalence out of those things. Mm-hmm. That said, um, there's also the fact that different things need to be written for different audiences. So if the if, if the question of like who gets to tell indigenous stories is actually coming out of conversations around the fact that indigenous people have been dispossessed of their stories a lot of the time um, through, you know, like academic horrible badness um, and, and people like literally like I'm trying to remember when the where like something more specific regionally about I think this was in BC, but I'm sure it's happened in lots of other places of um, academics going to indigenous communities saying, please tell us your stories so that we can preserve them, you know, for posterity. Uh, make recordings of the oral stories and then put them in a vault yeah. where people can't access them. Can't access them, them. yeah. You know, and then right. in order to get access to them, you need to, like, pay or, right. what, like, right. absolute nonsense. Mm-hmm. Um, so that sort of situation, you know, has its own parameters and stuff. And I, I'm completely, completely sympathetic to any perspective that is actually very hardline and, like, no, don't tell Indigenous stories. Don't try to represent Indigenous perspectives. You know, you, that mm. doesn't belong to you. Mm. At the same time, that I think that the stories that um, the, the stories that settlers need to hear are going to be a broad range of stories yeah. from indigenous experience mm-hmm. to also settlers, you know, uh, kind of representing a settler experience of needing to reckon with all of the horrors that have been perpetrated and mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. So there's a question of audience. There's a question yeah. of like, I, I mean. I remember too. The, like the, there are stories uh, that have that represent Middle Easternness in some way right. that I can't stand. That I <laughs> I am just like this is so not for me. This is a hundred percent not for me. I am not going to enjoy this book. If I were to read this book and review this book, I would you know I would have nothing but bad things to say. But it's not for me, yeah. I, and I have to recognize right. that that yeah, yeah, yeah. you know I am there's an in group out group situation. That book that I think is terrible might actually be read by someone who, you know, ends up becoming sufficiently interested mm. in something that they want to research more of it. Mm. Or want to, like, and I, I can, yeah. I can negotiate. That's a really interesting perspective. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think of this with, like, and th- this is the thing, like, I can't, I can make all of these observations and I cannot, you know, reconcile them into uh, like a code of conduct or anything. Well, no, because every <laughs> you know? situation is so Every situation is so, so different. It's yeah. so bespoke. It's very case by case. 
But I think, of, for instance, the fact that uh, this is extremely embarrassing, and I'm, uh, I, but like you know, recognizing that we are super ignorant about most of the world is, I yeah. think, important. So Absolutely. I had never heard of the Sami people in mm-hmm. Finland okay. until Frozen, like oh, until yeah, okay. the Disney film Frozen, right? right? Yeah. Like, and there was a lot of very good, incisive criticism of that film, which I love very much because <laughs> it's like entirely about me and my PhD. Just so you know, uh, like, um, but I like I super, super, super love that that film. Um, but uh, there was a lot of very correct and very incisive criticism of its representation of Sami culture and stuff through. Um, I can't remember the, the dude. Yeah. yeah, I can't remember his name. The the guy who rides the reindeer. Yeah, which is a thing that like Christoph. is a tr- Christoph. Thank you. I haven't even seen Frozen. I know. <laughs> I I oh, welcome to Parenthood. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> I was suddenly concerned that the reindeer was Christoph, but I think the reindeer is Sven. So. Sven, oh, yes. Oh, I'm so happy right now. <laughs> My knowledge based on coloring books. (laughs) (laughs) I know I will be brought into the Frozen cult soon enough, but it just hasn't happened yet. It's a genuinely beautiful film. I've heard. um, heard. There's a sequel, right? I'm so excited about the sequel. (laughs) Because again, sorry, not to belabor this, but actually to extremely belabor this, it's so about my PhD. If you ever want a visual... How is Frozen about your PhD? And then we'll get Alan to talk. Let it go. <laughs> Etc. Let it go is like. Oh, is it? I like sob during that song. Wow. A lot. Because uh, it's the idea. Sorry, and and <clears throat> I am basing this on having seen sections of the film when it's been on television. Mm-hmm. So okay. I'm not. I have. I. I do not have the flow right. of the film. See, this is but, actually perfect for what we were talking about perspectives on history. Because yeah. you've got a particular perspective <laughs> on this film. The idea, yeah, exactly. I, am mo- I represent the world when it comes to most other people's perspectives. I've seen little bits, and yet I'm going to give and a, a perspective. Book. Yeah, and a coloring book. I think I've got enough to go yeah. on. Um, but is the idea that she has all this power one of the two sisters yeah. has a whole lot of power. Do you know which one is the one with the power? The white-haired one. Elsa. The blonde hair. Yes. Okay. yes. Yeah. Uh, she, because we define people based on their hair color. And <laughs> so that she is, she has the power and has kept it contained. Yes. And then learns to let it go. Yeah. So, no, here's the thing. No. 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 What happens is this. She she has this power. She has this ice power. That would have been an interesting PhD. <laughs> yeah, no. Okay. She, has this, she has this ice power. Yeah. Uh, and she, uh, and it delights her little sister, Anna, uh, who, um, they, they play with this a lot and stuff, but one day she accidentally hurts Anna with the power mm. and is terrified by this and ends up like, uh, hiding her power and, and like Anna forgets that she even has this power because she is so young when, when the accident happens. Um, so Elsa just kind of keeps it to herself and hides it. And this thing that is a huge part of her is like, is hidden. It's also totally like queerness, but anyway, it's a whole thing. Um, but, uh, uh, but then she is going to be queen eventually. There's a whole devastating song, uh, where her parents die (laughs) off screen anyway. Uh, but not to spoil the first 10 minutes of the movie for you. bring this film to my children Um, too quickly. But yeah, so, so she, as she's going to become queen, she's been trying to, to hide this thing from everyone so that no one Mm. knows that she is the strange freak with this thing. Um, and, uh, but then it comes out during her coronation and she is mortified and she runs away. And as she's running away, 
she has this, this this song of like you know she had to hide her power for so long but now she can just let it go and, and stop anyways i i'm not going to sing the whole song the the, the you can the, sing some of it please <clears throat> no <laughs> sorry <laughs> i'm too I, 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 genuinely, I, I genuinely will actually start to cry oh, okay. so uh oh, okay. but um but the thing is that the, in frozen 2 like the ad for frozen 2 uh involves the most accurate visual representation of what it's like to write a PhD that I have ever seen. And it involves Elsa is standing by the sea at night and it's this big roaring ocean and she is staring it down with determination. She ties up her hair and she starts running towards the ocean and she starts trying to, using only her ice power, which is all she has, to climb the ocean. And so she, like, you know, is freezing it beneath her so that she's climbing it Mm. and stuff. But the ocean is very powerful and vast and boundless. Mm. So as she is climbing, it's also, like, flinging her backwards and she has to start from the beginning again. And she keeps on trying to climb it. And as she is trying to climb it, it's, like, falling apart beneath her. And it's just, that's what it's like to write a dissertation. (laughs) Is that correct? Yeah, it's not bad. That's not, okay. it's not bad. You should yes. watch it, Evan, if you haven't, okay. if you haven't yeah. seen just, just the trailer. Yeah, no, it's not bad. amazing okay. and inspiring and painful. Yeah. Uh, I'm very nearly done with my PhD. <laughs> I really am. Uh, <laughs> like, wow. Did, but, I cannot imagine doing anything close to a PhD. And so I have enormous respect for anyone who has gone through that process. Because once when I left university, I was like, I'm never again. Yeah. I, I'm right. never going anywhere. I have no wise master's. decision. That's what yeah, I keep really. hearing. Yeah. But like, I, I can't imagine. I'd rather just write and, and do fiction and not have to... I don't know. It, it just sounds arduous. And nobody ever says, well, my PhD was great. It's always that. It's like it was you know awful and tumultuous and so much work. Well, and I'm so exhausted. And like... the, the thing is, it's not actually... It's really not the research. The, mm. the thing that I found, maybe you have a different experience, Evan, it's that, uh, like, so I have sort of two PhD experiences. Okay. My first one was... You don't have two PhDs. I don't have two PhDs. <laughs> oh, no. No. It's this one Evan folds up his laptop. No. <laughs> no. My God. I'm uh, I just... No. <laughs> Suddenly Amal was reading Richard. She's just got yeah. five yeah. PhDs. Bruce yeah. Banner. Yeah. Seven PhDs. My first one is much more like the Hunchback of Notre Dame. <laughs> <laughs> Someone was actually pointing out on the internet that like the whole you know showing Bruce Banner uh, as being really really smart by saying he has seven PhDs is is completely inaccurate because if you were actually working in a field then seeking more PhDs would be this weird vanity project instead of actually doing uh, yeah. Yeah, um, but no the the thing so I started How did he afford that much post secondary education what a good question was Banner yeah. rich I don't know. Because he's like, no, because for most of the time we see him, in the, he's living this weird itinerant lifestyle because he keeps turning into the Hulk. Maybe before he turns Maybe into before the Hulk. Maybe before he turns into yeah. the like Hulk. Like in the comic, he gets seven is he, is he I don't, yeah, do from we, a wealthy family? I don't think so. No. I've never seen that right. background. For I've never seen, no, I've never seen like Bruce. Bruce Maybe Banner. scholarships. Maybe he's scholarships. Oh, Maybe that's, that's so yeah. smart. Scholarships yeah. he gets or, scholarships. you know, like, yeah, yeah, exactly. All the, all the funding, you know, you apply for the. Maybe it's actually not seven PhDs, but seven postdocs. Uh, uh, you know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're just calling it PhDs. They're just calling it PhDs because they don't know because they're in Hollywood and you don't need yeah. to bother with that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. But no, the um, so I, I started. <laughs> this is, this is not actually the much, sidebar you missed. No, <laughs> no, but uh, no, I started doing the PhD at the University of Exeter, um, right. their Cornwall campus, and I had a terrible, 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 terrible experience oh. there. Um, and I basically got as far as writing 
almost the whole dissertation, like uh, 60,000 words worth yeah. of it. Um, and uh, uh, then they retreated. I, I'm not going to get into the nitty gritty of it because uh, it was it was so awful. I just left. I was like, okay. no, you, you are. I'm not giving you my research. Oh, okay. <laughs> you terrible, terrible oh, people. Wow. Okay. Um, so okay. wow. yeah, it was uh, it was horrible. So, so I left and then came to Ottawa over Christmas. And went to the University of Ottawa and talked to uh, one of my my um, very dear profs there, uh, who said, you know, on the strength of your MA grades and the research that you've done, you can probably just, you know, do a PhD at University of Ottawa or at Carleton. Yeah. And I'd recommend going to Carleton so that you don't have the hat trick of like three degrees from the same university. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but uh, and so that and like so my experience at Carleton has actually been fantastic. Like mm-hmm. it's it's been like night and day uh, as compared to the terrible badness that it was abroad. Wow. Um, so warning to Carleton. Yeah. <laughs> if she doesn't like you, she will leave and take her research with her. She will run to Scotland. Yeah. Uh, no, they've been so fantastic, especially because like I am, I, I had to get an extension to wrap up because and you have to like give a reason for mm. this and my, I literally had to write unexpected Hollywood success <laughs> <laughs> need more time to finish my oh PhD my God. <laughs> um, and wow. it's just like so because literally I would actually be graduating in the fall if like the TV option yeah, and yeah. time war hadn't happened and if I wasn't suddenly in the in the thick of writing a pilot Episode. I didn't, and, you're writing, I didn't know that you were writing the pilot. Oh my god! Yeah, this is the whole thing that's really exciting. Ah, about. So like, the, the I, I, yeah, I'd heard that the okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. The option is all well and good because yeah, like, yeah. hooray, free money. But no, the the thing that's really exciting, which you don't usually get to be excited about because usually things don't happen this way, yeah. uh, is that they have hired us. The the, the company that bought the option also. Oh, thank I was going to say yeah. it's really awkward when you have to tell Mac. <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> no, no. Can we find out? Great news. Please don't listen to braggers. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, Max and I are both doing it. So, like, um, they're, they've hired us to oh uh, co-executive wow. produce and to uh, oh. to write the pilot. Holy shit. So, this is the thing. So, like, this means nothing in terms of, like, whether the show will actually happen or not. Yeah, yeah, but but right. it's actually extremely concrete in terms of us getting paid to write yeah. a thing. Which is cool. So, which yeah, is yeah, really yeah. great. Um, which is, is super, super wonderful. So, um but like, uh, the, there are all sorts of like constraints about you know saying if you, if you, for this contract work you have to make sure this is like your first priority and all sorts oh, of stuff no. like that. <laughs> so, um, like, and like sorry, Netflix is it Netflix? Is no, it? we don't know. So, this oh, is, okay. so um, the company is called Whip. Uh, they are the I think the production arm of the CAA of like the uh, Creative Arts oh, Agency. I think um, they are a TV financing outfit who like basically what they will do is. They've commissioned the pilot from us. Once they have that, they will get a showrunner, and then they cool. will sell that to a, a network as a package. Right, okay. Yeah. So, um, so I know, like, and I can't talk about it much more than no, that, no, no, except no, that. Yeah. It, so, the in terms of like where Max and I are at, we are definitely going to write the pilot, and then like if things happen after that in a nice way, then that, like, will be involved to varying You're degrees. You're never no. finishing that period. I'm totally finishing it! The ocean it. is just getting <laughs> bigger and bigger. And she's shooting her little icicles into it. Yeah. And she's like, look, oh, I'm going to take a boat over there. <laughs> yeah. Next thing it'll be, can we have five sequels and another book deal? And... But no, uh, like, from your mouth to God's ears. <laughs> I... As we say in Arabic, but yes. Which yeah. means uh, from your mouth to the door of the sky. Oh, oh nice. which I think sounds interesting. Yeah. So, well, congratulations! Very Thank cool. you. That's yeah, really cool. Oh, crap. Is so. 
I mean, it was funny because at the book launch, we made a joke about how because it's such the characters are so isolated yeah. in it. There's no like sassy foil to be trading barbs yeah. with throughout the thing, and and there to be that conversation back and forth. So is that a challenge now when you're sitting yeah. down to write the pilot? It is definitely. I mean, that's actually sort of like the 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 things we have to be aware of as we adapt it are that it needs to breathe, right? Mm. Like it's a very very mm. tight two hander, and it's not going to be a very tight two hander in the same way right. if as if we write this pilot. Um, so our our challenges are to. Um, keep the feeling of the book while also like expanding and populating the world of the story. Yeah, yeah. So like, uh, I, and again, I'm I'm probably skirting close to like probably shouldn't talk about it more than that. But th- those are the challenges. Uh, and uh, um, the... if we're understanding who's cast. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, God, I have my. I mean, I'm super. Are you allowed to say dream cast? Yeah, I'm people, totally allowed okay, to say my dream okay, cast. Who's, who's my, red and blue? My dream cast. So I keep asking Max. Like who is his dream cast for Red? Yeah. And he's like, I just don't know enough contemporary like actors. I don't oh, watch okay. TV. <laughs> oh, yeah. wow. um, I feel does. better with my pop culture knowledge. I hope yeah. he didn't say that in the pitch. Like, <laughs> no, no. Like, like, no. <laughs> I would happily take this on. By the way, I watch no television. <laughs> he watches. You're he in watches, good hands. He watches television in a very targeted way. I would okay. say, right. like, um, and uh, but but like not so much for for fun because uh, right. he has no time. He's so busy, uh, and so and is he as busy as you? He's probably busier than me. He is also parenting a three-month-old uh, child. Oh yeah, that's right. That's why you've been going for the launch. Right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, um, so he's yeah, he's, he's a new parent. He has many, many projects. You may notice he has written many more books than I have on account. It's not a contest. I just, but he is just—he he is a very busy man. He's very, very busy. Is he a better person than you? <laughs> Go to our phone. Uh, <laughs> Peter, no comment. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I like the fact the hosts are like, wait, we have we phone, phone lines? Line? When did we get phone lines? He brought them with him. <laughs> it's awesome. 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 Eventually, yeah. we need to bring it back to like quizzing him about his backstory. Yeah, no, no, yeah. segue no, no, us in a totally different way. But I, I, yeah, he deflected that very Don't think I'm not paying attention, dude. Interested, though, in the Dreamcast. Yeah, the Dreamcast. So, my, my, um, so, like, my top three are... Wow, you have top three. I have top three for blue. For okay. blue. Uh, and not in no particular order, because I'd be delighted to have any of them. Tessa Thompson. Nice. Ruth Nega. Yeah. Uh, and I always forget... She has a, like, two-barreled surname, which I always forget. Wait, she's on your dream castle? You don't know her name? I, I'm, I just always this? forget it! No! Stop, I'm looking it up. Uh, she's the one who plays Dutch on Killjoys. Um, oh, um, uh, I can see your face. Yes, it is. Uh, Hannah John Cammon. There we go. Okay. I knew it was Hannah. I just it was wow. the John Cammon part that I couldn't remember. Anyways, I think she's amazing, uh, and uh, I love that character. So anyway, those are those are like my. But at the same time, I I say Dreamcast kind of to give a sense of how I see the character. Yeah, right, but like yes. obviously, like casting unknowns is actually a really yeah, exciting yeah, yeah. prospect. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, for uh, for Red. Um, Oh, who is the... I, I put this in... Like, I, there were a bunch of, like, singers who I've seen who have kind of a red energy to oh, me. Yeah. Um, but, uh, and I put this in an interview recently because I'm answering so many interview questions. And it's gone. Because uh, there was, like, a Dutch model. And there was a, um, I think, like, 
Korean singer, and I have forgotten both of their names, but I can okay. see them. Uh, anyway, yeah, mostly I've been going okay. by music videos for okay. Red more than anything else. Okay. Um, that, but then it must be partially a visual mm-hmm. that you're going with, like I mean, because I mean that's 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 very much a red is very. Uh, um, I've never actually pronounced this word out loud. Fudgy in my head, <laughs> like like a like femme butch. Like, oh um, yeah, I'm glad like, I'm not the only one who was yeah. like what? No, um, <laughs> so like uh, red is in my head like you know like they're like sharp cheekboned, right. angular face. Yeah, yeah. Um, actually, weirdly, see her with like like bleached white hair okay. um, and like short bleached white hair. Um, and in a kind of severe cut and stuff, and very muscular. Look and up very... a picture here, one moment. Okay. I, yeah, I've, I've, someone's coming to my mind. <laughs> uh, and uh, whereas whereas blue is a lot more femme and a lot more um, sinuous, and always always actually dark skinned in my head. Whereas uh, red is more light skinned, although ethnicity doesn't really come into it for red so much in my head. Okay, um, like I, I can see a range of different backgrounds for red. Uh, Likewise for blue, for that matter. Um, right. Okay. And the thing is, like, they're both, like, in the book, they're both shape shifty. Yeah. So it doesn't well, actually. That's, that's, well, what, yeah. that's what I was wondering <clears throat> yeah. about: was whether in different points in time are they supposed? I, I didn't know if in the book they were actually supposed to transform because there's not a lot of. You don't do a lot of description of the mechanism, like, yeah. like, and or like in here, she looks with her. Blue eyes. Yes. Who do you have there? Well, I'm wondering if maybe Vanessa Kirby from Mission Impossible. I can see. I yeah. can see that. I she's that she's too slightly sick. too femme. Okay. She's slightly too that, delicate. That looked gentler than yeah. what I, I thought she was. Saying. Yeah, that's not. Yeah. yeah. Um, For our listening audience, both Alan Neal and Brandon Pillow have been furiously working their phones. This is so delightful to me, I, you guys. Also, actually, I will show you uh, something for your show notes. Now um, everyone's on their phones. Now everyone's on their phones. Well, he doesn't do any research. This is fantastic. <laughs> um, the thing is that, like, I saw the, the, the wonderful thing about. So I have been dreaming of artists creating fan art of these characters. It's just like their own oh, headcanon of the yeah, characters, yeah. right? Um, and I haven't seen, I don't think anyone do them as humans yet. I've seen like various like bird stuff or um, really just gorgeous, gorgeous art in general, kind of representing like, time braid or various things like that. But, um, but there was this one, someone tagged me in this piece of art uh, by uh, here's their name by Valentina Reminar, um that is not actually an illustration of the book and yet and yet look like oh, it's just oh, like wow. right? okay, that's kind of odd like, okay, we're going to have to put this on Twitter so. yeah, yeah, okay. oh that is extreme oh. yeah. Eliza Coop Eliza Coop must, must who must is make extremely funny she is like uh, I, I she was the, she was the reason that I watched a an ensemble show that was up and down but called Ooh. Happy Endings but it, but it was it was it's like kind of friends like style but then she is in a show that I haven't even seen but I just seen her in the trailer but for a show called Future Man Ooh. which is what she is I, out in there. oh my god and I she love plays this. a character in a video game that he is then put into oh, cool. awesome and so it's a assassin named Tiger in the Awesome, but, but I thought like what, yes. you, were, what you were just yeah, yeah, describing yeah. there. But normally she doesn't have purple hair, so yeah. I'm trying to find the, the excellent. Color. This was, oh, I'm sure, fascinating for everyone. 
Don't worry, this would be in the updated version of Artemis Oil. This will be like where everyone just goes silent. I don't know why that is my motion for people typing. Like on the Flintstones secretary style. It's like those those gifts of someone typing, right? Like of a stick figure person typing where it's like, there, I have no elbows. What is it from Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs? Have you ever seen the one? Yes! I love that movie! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's very much that. Yeah. It's great. With pilots, like, if it... It's going to be a hit, and it's going to take off, and it's going to be amazing. But like, don't do, don't do people? It. No, Jesus. no, no. What I'm saying, do people like do you, you, those must be fiercely guarded in the scripts, right? Like you can't just like put it up online. And say, no. Here's what I just wrote. Oh Everyone, tell me what you think. We are literally at the outline stage right now, right. and that is closely guarded. What we've been advised uh, by our representation is just don't talk about it. Just right. talk about how excited you are, which right. is real and true, right. yeah. uh, and just don't talk about anything else. I'm like, okay. okay. So You've I, done a great job of that so far. <laughs> <laughs> no, you have. You haven't given anything away. You're no, good, I, good, I can say, good. like, you know, the, what I think the challenges are in terms of adapting it, I really am enjoying thinking about a lot. Yeah. And the thing that I always say about the process of adapting it is just that it's literally like writing fan fiction of our own work. Like, we get to, yeah. we get yeah, to actually, yeah, you know, yeah. dive in and get in between, like, literally read between the lines of what we've mm-hmm. written. Yeah. To be, and... Because there's also a lot of stuff that we discussed together in a, in a sense of, like, you know, the, the bottom part of the iceberg. You know, we know that you're only going to see this tip, but we right. still, for ourselves, wanted mm-hmm. to get a sense of what is the underlying logic mm-hmm. of this and, and how are we going to make that work. Um, so, I mean, one of those things in the book was, was very much not having, not paying attention to the causality of the time travel. Like, we're yeah. not going to explain to you why someone needs to have this thing happen in order like the, the yeah. chain of events or whatever is not something we're interested in tracing that's not right. the point the point is they each have missions to do they are doing those missions and yeah. then being foiled at the doing of the missions mm. by someone else who has their own mission you know um and like representing that is more important than representing how it happens yeah but uh we definitely like we definitely need to if we're adapting it, let people into our heads more, you know, mm-hmm. and yeah, kind absolutely. of ex- externalize a lot more of those processes and mm-hmm. stuff. And um, and that's been really exciting because we get to actually discuss that. And right. and it, and a lot of it feels like whenever Max and I have a long phone conversation about these things, we end up we like I'm always pacing. I think we're usually probably both pacing back and forth <laughs> as we're talking. It's just a thing that we both do. Um, and. Uh, I, I was also them, like circumstances. Yeah, I'm picturing the split screen. Yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> the two of them are like going, and I'm like, that's your show. <laughs> this is how you write the pilot. This yeah. is how you write the time war. This is how you pilot the time war. <laughs> but it's oh. weird because most series. <laughs> now I'm going to write myself into a corner here, but like most, if I think about time series where time travel is involved, usually each episode you don't go to more than one. Time, like the, yeah. the focus of the plot right. for that episode you go to a period yeah. and you see what happens there so it would just be interesting to see any of those expe- like I said at the at your book launch like the moment where he said she was his wife or whatever yeah, and I was yeah. like what she was his wife yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. so that means that she had to go and get married that had to be a relationship that had to be able to, like which we saw in a little yeah 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 blip right like exactly. so so it would be very interesting to see that one period each time expanded or yeah whatever, but yeah yeah and that's the thing it's like the, the the other thing that you do with time travel I mean the, the kind of assumption that you're talking about out there um 
is that the the time travel show is always on some level tied to the viewer's experience of yeah, time, right? Right. right. So that the linearity is the viewer's experience, mm-hmm. um, and that so you are just as the viewer is dipping into an hour of television, the time traveler is dipping into right. a, a moment in a past and something, right, right. right? But when someone, if you were to think of a character as actually having unfettered access mm-hmm. to all of time and space, mm. then spending, you know, 70 odd years of human life in one place is not that much of an ask, right? Exactly, right, right. right. Uh, and it's not that, like, right. and, and in the in the kind of span of attention is the other thing. Like, when you... The, this is the thing about... Like, I actually... Does it feel like 70 years to them if yeah. it's like... Right. So, the only uh-huh. way that I can kind of make it work for me is that... Is to think of... Uh, is to think of blue and red as just so removed from everything that they are yeah. sort of also part of everything. That, um, that, oh, that okay. blue does yeah. actually sincerely and genuinely live a whole life mm-hmm. um, and that she's doing well, this kind of like whole life with like with a you know an objective that isn't inimical to the people she's with if that makes sense like it's just kind of it is on such a huge scale that that there can there has to be a category difference like that's the only way I can sort of make it work in my and head. I guess the part that didn't occur to me was that I mean and again, this falls back to my physics brain and my <laughs> travel brain and everything where I didn't, you know, my mind hurts watching Legends of Tomorrow. So <laughs> if you, because she vanishes from the period where she's married to someone mm-hmm. for seconds yeah. to go to wherever, it does not mean she's living any less of a life right. with that person, right? Exactly. Like, like if yeah. right in, within this podcast, we all could have gone yeah. to four different timelines and come back yes. to this and of course we'd come back. <laughs> if there's one place we're going to be, it's going to yeah. be to record it. But, but, like, but if, if like, it just occurred to me now, in my head, when I read it, I was like, oh my gosh, she had to put in 40 years into that, conning the guy that she was, like, in love with him, blah, blah, blah. But maybe it was 40 years of the life that one wanted to live in that time period. And then she's gone for a little bit, she comes back. We don't know yeah. how it finishes up. She may, like, continue to live, have grandchildren and everything else. Like, but... At the same time, I they would have to be very time management focused, though, oh, like, yeah. to remember oh, yeah. where you are, like at any point where you're coming back to these and different the periods. Like, they also have, like, it would you not know, be in... a good job for me. I don't think. I'm, <laughs> right? I'm, like, I'm sorry. Just a quick question: Do we have kids? Or are we <laughs> I'm in Caesar's time. Well, this is the thing too. Like, this is why the letter writing was such a great metaphor for it. So if you're writing a letter to someone, you can stop in the letter and yeah. go and do any number yeah. of things yeah, yeah. and return to the letter. Right. And for the person receiving the letter, the letter is unbroken. Right. right? right. You can say to them. Oh, you know, here I paused for three days, you know, in order to kind of do whatever and then come back. But but the person reading the letter is still reading an, an unbroken narrative, right? right. Um, and is still experiencing the letter in one little span of time and stuff. Right. So that was the kind of thing that we wanted to play with, without you know, without literalizing it too much, mm-hmm. um, with maintaining the, like human lives are sort of the theater in which this war is being fought but it's not a 
like it, it's not about them. That's the only way I can reconcile yeah, yeah, it with yeah. like you know the otherwise quite reprehensible. Like, I mean, the murderers, right? <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I was just yeah, gonna say, yeah, yeah. I'm not people. sure Why? that the sleeping like, with other people is the worst thing yeah. they do. But it, it's, There's it's also a, like a thing I hadn't totally decided for myself. We we kind of talked about it a little bit, but. Well, the time-space rip has collapsed, and all we have to do now is wait to see what paradoxes have occurred. We had a wonderful time talking with our fellow survivors today, so thank you to Amal and Alan for joining us here in our underground safe haven. And thank you, as always, to fellow survivor Chris Kesner for providing our intro and outro music. Thank you to all you survivors out there for joining us for our conversation today. Stay safe, do not step on any butterflies, and we'll look forward to reaching you again with our next broadcast from the Wasteland.